make a little introduction or anything, or do I just begin? Oh, I can't hear you, by the way, Shruti Sagra. Just now. <laughs> if you were saying if you were saying anything nice about me, please repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I was asking if you could just lower the blinds more because we can only see half your face now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, we, we better hope the light really is coming. Oh, yeah. outside. You just. You're already self-effulgent, Marge. You don't, <laughs> don't need the sun for more effulgent. Too blinding. Well, um, so yeah, so um, his holiness Hedana Marge is, um, is is in town, and uh, I didn't prepare an introduction, so I'll just <laughs> wing it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think most everybody knows here. Uh, Marge, Marge was the one who actually was here in 1971, started with the Christian launch and the center over here in Gainesville. And, and uh, Marge has been a sannyasi for more than 40, 50 years now. Uh, now it's 49 years, but you know, well, at my age, who's counting, right? <laughs> <laughs> and now uh, Marge has preached all over the world, especially in South America. And then of course in Gainesville and opened many centers in South America. And then Marge did a PhD in, um, in religious studies, I believe, in uh, at Harvard. Sanskrit, actually, was Sanskrit and Indian studies. Okay, Sanskrit Indian studies, and uh, in a record time of two and a half years, from what I remember, and um, and and then Marge has been very active in that area, also of preaching amongst academic circles. And Marge has taught many universities uh, at University of Florida, of course, and UCLA, also, right? Marge, religion of India course and other courses. Oh, the Graduate, Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley and University of Florida here. So um, I remember taking your course 2009, yeah, spring. It was, it was fun. So, um, so yeah, it's nice to have you, Marge, and, uh, and we have to have, we like, would like to have more of your classes here in person and on Zoom. <laughs> no, thank you very much. So we'll begin. Uh, First, we'll chant uh, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So, um, I had the verse actually. It's it's a uh, seven thirteen one. Isn't that true? Uh, I lost the verse, so I'll get it right back. So this chapter is um, about Anavaduta. And so as, by way of introduction, uh, it, it's in, just the idea is that in general, we should give up the material world and we should um, embrace Krishna consciousness and ultimately go back to Godhead. That's the general idea, that human life is meant to do everything necessary to transfer oneself from the illusory world to the eternal world. And so the question obviously arises, to what extent and in what ways is it appropriate to engage with this world? Because to be a conditioned soul means to have a material body. You may have all noticed that, of course, actually there may be certain disembodied spirits also attending this class, but at least everyone that's on Zoom right now uh, has a material body. And so uh, the material body feels pleasure and pain. I should say we feel pleasure and pain through the body. We are in this world because we're attached to it and that that because we experience the body we experience the world through the body uh and because our whole sense of somehow belonging to this world that illusory sense of somehow belonging to this world of somehow uh being so to speak in the real world this is the real world and therefore uh, my family, that's my real family forever or as long as we all survive. And that all these things are real. 
that you know Florida is a real place or other place, places in America or, or other parts of the world, other planets, the whole universe. I mean, obviously, in a sense, these are real. They really exist. We're not just imagining that we are in Gainesville, Florida. We actually are in Gainesville, Florida. However, in um, serious spiritual circles, transcendental circles, in the Bhagavad Gita itself, there's a very high bar, as they say, there's a high standard for something to be called truly existing. There are gradations of existence. And of course, Plato talks about this. Also, and other philosophers have spoken of it. The idea being that that which truly exists, exists forever. For example, let's say Gainesville, let's say the city of Gainesville really exists but not in the highest sense, because in the past it didn't exist, and in the future it won't exist, despite Brahmacharya's best efforts, you know, to help with the city management. Ultimately, in the future, uh, Gainesville won't exist, or this planet won't exist. So that's one problem, that if we simply say that, okay, Gainesville is real, Gainesville exists. We know what that means, but its existence is, is very temporary. Its existence is temporary, which definitely knocks it down to a lower status of existence compared to things that always exist. There's a further problem. And that is, let's say you take a building in Gainesville, a building. Uh, like, let's say, for example, I don't know, well, let's take the plaza where we give out prashadam. Um, what we really have is Krishna's material energy or any of the buildings or anything in this world. It's Krishna's material energy. And when it takes, a, when it transforms in a particular way, we give it a name like grass, cement, or air or cloud or whatever. So this in, in the Bhagavatam, this is always called Nama Rupa, names and forms. So uh, let's say, for example, the material energy that, that is now the library in the <laughs> Plaza of the Americas. So all that material energy, whether it's the bricks or the cement or the glass or the plastic or the books themselves, that's just material energy that previously was something else. For example, take the grass in the plaza. Uh, the grass in the plaza now is not the same grass that was there approximately 50 years ago when Prabhupada came. It's different grass or even something which seems to be more permanent like the bricks in the library. Um, it's uh, ultimately the material energy that is now those bricks uh, previously was something else. For example, it was earth, it was water. There's a way that you make bricks. You combine certain types of clay or earth and water and God knows what else they do. And also fire is needed. And so all these other elements that we did not call a library or we didn't call bricks, they existed in some other form, they come together. And ultimately they'll have to be replaced or just the whole thing will be gone someday and it will become something else. And there's a law of conservation of matter. So the energy is always there. Krishna talks about this in the Bhagavad Gita, by the way, where he says, Prakitin purusham chaiva vidyana bhava pi. I'll get the first number for you. Uh, purusham chaiva. That's um, 1320. Bhagavad Gita 1320, where Krishna says, Prakitin purusham chaiva vidyana bhava pi. Know that both uh, prakriti, material energy, and purusha, the soul, the both matter and spirit, both material energy and souls, uh, are beginningless. Anadi, ubhavapi, actually both. Ubhava means both. But vikarangscha, gunangschaiva, vidhi prakriti sambhavan. But Krishna says, vikarang, uh, the transformations as such as the transformation of uh, air, water, earth, and fire into a brick. 
or the transformation of a brick into dust or the transformation of dust into particles in the air or and then it comes down the rain and just becomes something else. So these are transformations and gunangs and, and the qualities because when matter is combined into, let's say, a brick, it has a certain quality. It's hard or it's solid or it's manufactured in a certain way. It's even so that you can place one on top of the other. It also is made in such a way that it adheres to some type of what do you call it? Sticky nail. You know, they put in they put in cement or something that 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 to which the brick adheres, so that bricks stay together in a permanent way. So these are all qualities. Whenever you transform matter, it has a certain quality. For example, water. Let's say hot water has a certain quality that you can perceive. It's liquid. It's hot. But then if it, if it's heated further and becomes steam, steam has a different quality. And so. In this world, so we can say there is an eternal material energy. There is an eternal fundamental material energy, which Krishna calls anadi, beginningless, and therefore by implication, uh, endless. And then there's a soul uh, which does not transform. Now, our body transforms precisely because it's prakriti, but you, the soul, you, the soul, do not transform, actually. You, the soul, do not because you're eternally a soul. Now, getting to this chapter, so that's the basic ontology, and that's what's sort of like the background of this chapter. So, um, so in this chapter, what the Bhagavatam is doing in this conversation between Prahlad and the Avaduta it's um, the baseline or, or, or the, the basic idea here is that we should have nothing to do with the material world. We shouldn't even really be here. That's the idea. But we are here. We do have material bodies. So now what do we do? That's really the issue. What do we do now that we have material bodies? And of course, this Avaduta is showing Prahlad an extreme example. This is the least possible contact you can have with the material world without actually committing suicide. Because as we know, if you commit suicide, you just come back again. It's, you know, you haven't really solved the problem. You kind of made it worse. So if you are a spiritual practitioner, if you're trying to be Krishna conscious, and you realize the material world is illusory, it's Devi Dom, the I can't say the kingdom of Maya, the queendom of Maya, it's the realm of Maya, then what is the least possible contact you can have with this world if you really just want to be Krishna conscious? And that's what the Avaduta is showing. That's the whole point of the Avaduta. This is the least possible contact you can have. However, times have changed. We are not living in a previous yuga in which there is general spiritual knowledge and people, many people understand it. We're living in a very fallen age. And in this age, Lord Chaitanya has ordered us to spread his Sankirtan movement. That requires a lot more contact with the world. However, we have a reference point in this 13th chapter of uh, even though we, this is the whole point, even though we have to engage with the world, we have to cook food, we have to walk down the street, we, we have to do all kinds of things. We have to put money in the bank. We, I mean, there's just a million things that we have to do in this world. And yet, uh, and yet we can do these things in the same spirit as the Avaduta. That's the idea, to imbibe the spirit of the Avaduta uh, while actually engaging the world. Now, someone wants to know what the word avaduta means, which I can't understand why anyone would want to know the mean of the words I'm using, but I guess somebody does. Just kidding. So, uh, literally, literally the word avaduta, ava means down or off, like avatara, the one who crosses down into this world. So that's ava. Dhuta means literally shaken. 
So avaduta in the Sanskrit dictionary means shaken off. Uh, here, I'll read you some of the meanings. This is from the standard Sanskrit English dictionary. Shaken off, which can mean as in the case of evil spirits, removed, shaken away, discarded, expelled, excluded, disregarded, neglected, rejected. Uh, one who has shaken off from himself or herself worldly feeling and obligation. In other words, you've shaken off attachment to this world uh, and it can mean to reject. So, so that's, so Navaduta is a person who has uh, just shaken off in the sense of discarded, rejected their identification with this world. So even though we have to engage with the material world much more than the avaduta, we can keep that spirit that we really ultimately, eternally have nothing to do with this world. We are simply here temporarily to do the very best we can to become ourselves Krishna conscious and help other people become Krishna conscious. So even though as I said, we're engaging with so many things, cooking uh, or, or, or the, you know, taking care of finances, preaching to other people, buying things, selling things, because that's, that's what you do in this world. Studying, you know, even though we're doing all these things or, or getting married or having children or whatever, even though we're doing, well, actually, I'm not doing those things. I'm a sannyasi, but... <laughs> I was just trying to show empathy, that's all. I'm sure someone's going to think, well, but why did he say that? You know, maybe he's, maybe he's hiding something. Anyway, so um, even though we have to do all these things, we can remember from the example of Yavaduta that we have no more to do with this world than this sage did that we can be in Krishna consciousness just as detached and we can be fully in the consciousness that I just work here. You know, I have my duty, I have my service, I do it to the best of my ability, but ultimately I have no permanent connection with this world. For example, Prabhupada, um, I think in 1975, maybe 76, Prabhupada sent me, and I think Balavanta. Uh, we were in Mayapur for the festival, and he sent us to South India, to Hyderabad, because there was a, uh, a rich man there named Reddy, but many people in Hyderabad, are, their last name is Reddy. So that's not, you know, not so much information. But anyway, some man, some rich man named Reddy, and he'd given this farm, this beautiful piece of land to Iskon. And after he gave it, maybe he got pressure from his family or whatever. So he wanted to take it back or anyway, there, it was, there was a problem. So Prabhupada sent us down there to investigate and to see, you know, what's, what's the situation? What could be done? In those days, of course, there was no, there was no internet. There was, and even making telephone calls in, in India back then was, I mean, you were very lucky if you could actually make a long distance phone call. So we went down there and I'm mentioning this example because, uh, I mean, it was very interesting for me, naturally going to, it was the first time I'd ever been to South India. And uh, the farm itself was was really very nice. It kind of, it felt like Vrindavan. I was I was kind of fascinated by the, the land itself. I'd go for long walks, you know, in, uh, there in our land and, um, but I had only nothing to do with it. I mean, I knew that I don't live in Andhra Pradesh as it was whole thing was called back then. I don't live here. I'm not gonna, uh, and I may never come back to this place in my life. In fact, I never did go back to that farm, although I never forgot it. And uh, as far as the temple in Hyderabad, I stayed, we stayed a day or two in the temple and you know, though we were young and it was, you know, it was one of our temples, but um, but otherwise I had no emotional connection to it. And I've gone many places. In fact, uh, in, in this verse, in, in this chapter, it's stated that a sannyasi should travel because 
uh, that creates a type of detachment because you go to many places, but you realize this is not my home. Uh, I'm just visiting here. And so ultimately that's the idea for this world. We're just visiting this world. We're just visiting this world. So whether we're in Gainesville or some other place, um, we can appreciate the facility Krishna's given us. We certainly do our devotional service to the best of our ability. We take it very seriously because that's our connection to Krishna. We connect to Krishna. We revive our eternal relationship with Krishna by serving him. And so we take our services as everything. We devote ourselves to our devotional service, but in a spirit that I'm doing this for Krishna. And uh, ultimately my real home is in the spiritual world. So that's the basic idea here. As far as looking over this chapter, um, let's see, do I have, oh, I actually have the Veda base open. That'll make it easier to scroll. So if we look at the first verse, Sri Nardu Vacha, Kalpas Tevam Parivraja, Deha Matra Vasheshitaha. So the, the Avaduta, the, the sage that, uh, that uh, Prahlad meets, he's described as Kalpa, which means something like competent, like he's able to get things done. He's not just a completely incompetent person. That's why he's just lying there. And Tuevam Parivraja, and he's, Pari uh, means around, of course, like English, Peri, P-E-R-I. So he's wandering around. He's wandering. In other words, even though he's competent, doesn't have a job, He's not doing like engaging normally in societies. He's confident, but he's just wandering around. And all that is left him, Avasheshita means like the remnants are all that's left. All that is left to him uh, is just his body. Because he's not suicidal. You, you can't injure your body. You can't kill your body. That's uh, you know against the rules. And so, but that's all, that's all he has left to him. He's given up everything. All he has left is just his body. That, that's what this first verse says. Dehamatra Vasheshitaha. And Grama Ikarata Vidhina. Vidhina means by the rule. So he's living by a rule of Ekaratra, uh, just one night per village. Because back then in India, India was almost all villages. There were very few cities. You know, they were just basically political capitals that even some of them were not very large. So it was basically a, a, a South Asia and most of the world was just a land of villages and, um, you know, farming villages. So Ekaratra, one night per village, that's his rule. He lives by that rule. And Nirapekshas, uh, He's not really paying attention to anything. Prabhupada translates this without dependence on any material thing. He's not dependent on anything. And charet, and he 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 would wander the earth. Charein mahim, and he can. So he's wandering the earth. There's no question of him identifying with a country or a city, or he he's just wandering the earth like that. And so this is the picture we get uh, of this person. And, uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. This is actually Narda Muni in this verse is describing the way a person should be. So we haven't met the Abhiduti yet. So he's describing the way a person should be, but then the person that Prahlad meets fits this description perfectly. He perfectly fits. So first Narda Muni is saying, this is what we should do. Someone is completely detached. And uh, then he actually, uh, Prahlad actually meets someone who's like that. And so it's described, you know, how one should dress. What's very interesting here, it says that one should only wear a, loin, a loincloth, a bibriyat jedhyasovasa, which means if you want to wear clothes. So like, okay, maybe that's like, you know, it'd be nice if you don't have any clothes like this of a dude we're going to see because all he's got left is just his body, no clothes. But if you want to wear clothes, you know, for some strange reason, then... Um, then the sage has said, just to uh, 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 Narada Muni says, then, uh, oops, let me get rid of that one. Let me get the verse back here. Bibriyat means one should wear, yadi, if a person you know, wants to wear 
clothes, then kopina chadanam, just a kopina, just like covering, Prabhupada says, just to cover the private parts, and that's it. And so, um, obviously, we can't do that nowadays. And, and this is another proof that the, the point of how should you dress in Krishna consciousness is a detail. Because here we have the Bhagavatam, our most authoritative scripture, and it says, you know, it's great if you can just not wear anything if you're a sage. Uh, but if you, you know, if you have to wear something, just wear a loincloth. Now, obviously, we can't do that nowadays. So this shows that all these dress prescriptions are details. They're not basic principles, dress like this, dress like that. It's just what, it, you know, in a way that's practical and effective in the world you live in. So Ekaiva, uh, and one should travel alone and just beg for a little bit of food. Atma Rama, satisfied in the self. Anapashraya, not taking shelter of anything but God. Sarvabhuta Sarhichanta, one should be a, uh, actually, anyway, it's a misplaced hyphen there in this edition. So one should be a well-wishing friend of every creature. Imagine what a great environment we have. Everyone was a well-wishing friend of every other creature. Shanta, peaceful, Narayana Parayana, and completely dedicated to the Lord, Narayana, Krishna. And Pashyate, Atmaniya do Visham, Pare Sarasata, one should see uh, the Supreme Lord within everything uh, and see everything, including the universe, resting on the Supreme. So this is pure, advanced God consciousness. Krishna consciousness. So Narada goes on to describe all the characteristics. This is a perfect life of a fully renounced person and always remembering that this world is governed by time. We're not here permanently. We're just in the departure lounge waiting to go back to Godhead. So, uh, and here, literature, Nasa uh, Shastri, she said, Jeta, one should not attach oneself to even to Shastras, to so-called authoritative books, which are um, mundane. Because there's all kinds of books of wisdom, so-called, you know, because Shastra, all that Shastra really, Shast means to instruct or to command. So Shastra means a book which gives you instructions, a book which has some authority to teach something in the most general sense, the Shastra. In the higher sense, the Shastra is that which teaches the highest knowledge, a sacred Shastra. But here the word is being used. This is in verse um, seven. Na, na asat Shastra, she said, Jeta, one should not become attached to asat Shastras, to mundane books of wisdom or instruction. And so on. So, so many instructions are being given here about how to live this completely detached life, uh, a, a sannyasi, it says here, nashisha, this is verse eight, uh, should not become attached to or should not try to have a lot of disciples because that's, you know, that's one of the temptations. Lord Chaitanya says, that I don't want um, wealth, Najanam, uh, I don't want followers, I don't want to enjoy a beautiful woman. So um, having followers, that's one of the, uh, you know, cheap thrills of the material world. That's one of the, you know, the, one of the thrills of this world is I have followers, people love me, people look up to me. That's, that's one of the big sense gratifications of this world. And so, uh, if you're a spiritual leader, that can happen. If you're a spiritual leader, and if you kind of, you know, you're kind of good at what you're doing, you get followers, and that can become a real sense gratification. And you know, for you can be a guru who sees uh, disciples as kind of like a collectible. Like I have more, you know, this may sound childish, like I have so many disciples and I even have some rich disciples. Whoa, now I'm really gonna, you know, I'm gonna live right. Because as the body gets older, one can think, who's going to take care of me in my old age? You know, I can't really, if I'm sick, who's going to help me and all that. And so, and of course, these are practical things. It's not that we should be, you know, not care at all about these things. But so even for a sannyasi, there are temptations. 
power, followers, fame. So that's why these points are mentioned. And uh, anyway, there's so many instructions like this. And then finally, uh, finally in text 11, uh, Narada Muni says, Atrapi, indeed herein, like in this context, Udaharanti Mang, they tell this history. So this is like a typical, <laughs> typical language of the Bhagavatam, Udaharanti, they tell or they describe this history. You know, who, who are they? Previous sages, people that know what they're talking about. So, they tell, this is a typical phrase in, in, in our literature, they tell this ancient history. The conversation between Prahrad or Prahlad Maharaj and Munir and the sage, who was sort of living like a python, in the sense that it said pythons just sort of lie down the road, keep their mouth open and wait for something to walk into it. So this python thing is like a lifestyle where you make virtually no effort, take care of yourself, you just totally depend on God. So if you see me lying down on the grass in front of the, you know, in front of the Krishna house with my mouth open, uh, <laughs> actually you should call 911 because... <laughs> That's not an authorized process in the sage, but that's the idea. So uh, then the sage basically describes his worldview, how he sees and, and, and preaches in a very interesting way all the points that Narda's already made. You know, the sage, so, so Narda says, this is how a completely detached person should live. And that Atrapi uh, indeed in this context uh, they say the previous authorities tell a story, an ancient story about this, um, this Avaduta. So that's what we get. We get Nara's instruction, then we get an example of it. We get the sage confirming everything Nara said, telling sort of a first person experience. This is what my life is like living that way. And that's essentially chapter 13. So, uh, any questions on these points? I'll just mention at the very end, uh, the, this, this uh, Avaduta praises Prahlad Maharaj, and then finally Nard, in the last verse of this chapter, Nard and Sinard Uvacha, Dharmam Paramahangsyang Vai Munik, so that um, Prahlad Maharaj, uh, having heard, having heard uh, about the life of a Paramahansa, the life of a most advanced devotee, the highest platform, Having heard about the Dharma, actually the Dharma, the duties, the, the, the spiritual path of a most advanced devotee, having heard this, Pujitvata, and having honored that sage, uh, Prahlad was Prita, he was very pleased, and Amantriya, which means taking his leave, sort of very politely, very respectfully, begging his leave, taking his leave, Amantriya, Priyogriham, he left for his own home, he went home. And so, and so that's this chapter. So, any questions on these points? All right, Kishmaraj, I have a question. Yes. Uh, you were talking about Avadutas and how they are, uh, while living in this world, still look at it as a lounge before taking off to the spiritual world. And my question is, what can we do on a daily basis? Because since it seems like all of our surroundings, including, you know, uh, like, some material things like laptops, computers, networks, and even people around us seem to drag us back to quote unquote different reality or their reality. So now we're not let us go on a different platform. So what could we do on a daily basis to uplift ourselves? You Thank should you. all you should all sell your laptops and give me the money. <laughs> <laughs> or if that is not if that's not practical. <laughs> 
No, actually what we should, for example, the fact that, um, I'm just changing my view to gallery because I can't stand looking at a big picture of myself. So, um, I mean, if you were my age, you probably feel the same way. So, I mean, clearly we have to use these things. This is called Yukta Vairagya. And so just as to really go Python, so to speak, you know, to become an Avaduta is, it's challenging. It's not easy. You have to really, so in the same way, our challenge is not to lie down, you know, in the middle of the street in Gainesville and wait for, <laughs> I mean, obviously you'd be, you'd probably be, you know, not arrested, maybe taken to some mental health facility, but so we, we can't do that austerity, but to use all these things like laptops, like, you know, advanced kitchen equipment or just cars, whatever. And yet to always see it as belonging to Krishna, to never fall into the trap of thinking this is mine. That is our challenge. So the common denominator between the, uh, you know, the Python man sounds like one of the mutants, you know, in the uh, one, like an Avenger, you know, the, the Python. But um, our challenge, our austerity is to use these things, but always in a spirit that it all belongs to Krishna. It's like, let's say you work for the post office and they give you one of those, you know, funny little, uh, little mini trucks they drive around. Like, and, and so, you know, if some person working at the postal service just says, nah, uh, you know, I'm done. It just drives it. Like, I'm, I'm going to go across the country in my little postal truck. This is, this is my truck now. Uh, that's a crime. Because the person's working for the government and the, the cute little postal truck always looks like it's about to tip over. You know, those things actually belong to the government. So in the same way, our body is just like a little postal truck, you know? Our body is a vehicle that belongs to Krishna because he made it. And so we are just driving around in our little vehicle and whatever we possess, money in the bank or anything, property, whatever we possess, we're always in the, in the, in the consciousness, these things all belong to the Supreme government. I just, I'm just doing service. So that's our austerity. And to always have that consciousness, no matter how many people like us, we don't become proud. No matter how many people dislike us or mistreat us, we don't go crazy. No matter how much opulence Krishna gives us for service, we never identify with it. Even if we're lacking something, uh, we just accept this as Krishna's arrangement for now. So in all circumstances, in all sort, just like in the wedding vow, what do they say? And how do they say that um, in happiness? And what do they say? Like, you know, whether worse in sickness and in health. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, just like in the wedding vow, which, you know, I guess some people still take seriously. The idea is that you're making a lifetime commitment to another person. And so the Krishna consciousness is an eternal commitment to our most intimate friend, the person who is literally making us exist, God. And so whatever Krishna gives us or doesn't give us, our pleasure is not coming from that external stuff. Our pleasure is coming from our loving relationship with Krishna and knowing that somehow or other, I'm doing what Krishna wants me to do. I'm trying to please him. That's the source of our happiness. And if you are experiencing that spiritual happiness, uh, then you won't be too upset or too kind of materially exhilarated uh, because of the kind of paraphernalia you've got right now. So that's really the test of Krishna consciousness. What is the source of your happiness? Is it your loving relationship with Krishna? I mean, imagine a bad marriage. Let's say a man marries a woman and either the man or the woman loves material things more than their partner. So if, if you know, like if you can't give me lots of money, I'm going to divorce you. 
So obviously that's not the noblest way to get married. Of course, it also doesn't justify your partner being a lazy bum and having to live in a dangerous neighborhood and eat unhealthy food because you married a lazy bum. So, you know, that's the other extreme. But, um, but still, it's that commitment to Krishna that should be giving us pleasure. So any other question? Yes, back there in the peanut gallery. Hi, Krishna Rajas, thank you for very inspiring points. I'm wondering about this, um, the Vedic system of sannyas that's laid out here. It seems uh, to be very mechanical. You know, like the detachment is a result of just not, I mean, if, if you don't stop anywhere, then you're not going to be detached. I mean, you're not going to get attached. So it's sort of like forced on the sannyasi by external circumstances, almost detachment. And so I'm wondering how does that external kind of mechanical lifestyle uh, lead to real renunciation? Because it seems a higher principle that you could stay in one place and uh, still not be attached. A very interesting question. Um, even though, well, let's say, and put it this way, um, material circumstances are not completely irrelevant to our state of consciousness. For example, right now, those of you who are uh, in the Krishna house are in the Krishna house. I tend to make irrefutable statements, right? Those of you who are in the Krishna house are in the Krishna house. So, the, so uh, <laughs> you know, I speak very definitively. Anyway, so the idea is the whole purpose of having a community and associating together as far as you, you know, as much as you can, especially in the modern circumstances, but why have a community? Because it's favorable for Krishna consciousness. So certain, you could say, external configurations or situations are favorable for Krishna consciousness. For example, rather than just have sort of a chaotic community, the fact that someone is charged with the cooking, someone cleans, someone distributes prasadam, someone gives the class, that kind of organization, you can say it's external, but it's favorable. It's favorable to have a, an effective community that is able to accomplish its devotional service, that creates a peaceful environment. You know, if, if you know that everything is taken care of, things are organized, if you wake up every day and you have no idea if anyone's gonna make breakfast or if there's even any boga in the kitchen because what if no one bought food? And so you, you can't live like that. So even though we are detached from the world, it's an interesting point, because even though we have to be detached from the world, that means we are not trying to enjoy it. It doesn't mean that we see no relevance of the world. For example, even the, you know, the, the Abhaduta, let's say people just offer this person food or, or this person goes door to door and begs for food. Uh, but if someone, let's say, as a prank or out of ignorance or out of evil intent, gives the, offers the Abhaduta, let's say poisonous food, and the Abhaduta knows it's poison, he's not going to kill himself. So there are favorable arrangements. Or for example, if let's say uh, the winter's coming and the Abhaduta happens to be maybe in the Himalayan mountains or, or in the foothills, and it's going to get very cold and the Abhaduta is going to freeze to death. Well, in that case, since suicide is not part of this Dharma, that Abhaduta would travel south toward warm weather. Unless of course the Abhaduta was in the Southern hemisphere, which the case they travel north. So um, we, do make, we do make favorable arrangements so that we can exist. So in this case, um, let's say being an association of devotees or avoiding the association of certain persons who are not favorable, organizing in certain ways for Krishna's service. So all these things, all these practical things, if we do them for Krishna, if I know, for example, that Krishna wants me to live right now and not die, 
then I do everything I need to do to live. If I know that Krishna wants me to serve in a particular way, then I do everything that's favorable for that service. But for myself, for my to serve myself, I really don't do anything. Because serving Krishna includes keeping yourself healthy. If you really, just like if you're driving a little post office truck, which uh, as you can see, I have, you know, I don't actually have a post office truck fetish. I'm just using this example. So, so let's say you're driving a post office truck, you got to put gas in it, you have to make sure you don't do things that are going to damage the engine, or run into the back of a truck or something. So in Krishna's service, we can make many practical considerations. And if I'm fixed in this understanding that I'm serving Krishna, I'm actually not doing anything for myself. Because serving Krishna includes keeping healthy, having a happy life, uh, treating other people appropriately, you know, having appropriate relationships. Everything that I would need to do for my happiness is already there in Krishna's service. There's no need to make an extra effort or to have a, a private part of my life which is not for Krishna. So any other question? I see the food wagon has come in. Uh, hi, Krishna. Um, sometimes our attachments are so subtle that it uh, maybe we think that we're doing something for Krishna, but it's kind of like a, feels like I'm just tricking myself. Uh, like, for example, I love chocolate chip cookies, so I'll make them for Krishna. But really, it's for because I enjoy chocolate chip cookies. So in that sense, um, is there, um, should we renounce at least a little bit when we have that tendency? Oh, uh, yeah, you should definitely send all your chocolate chip cookies to me. <laughs> so <laughs> what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, is that yukta-hara-viharasya, um, yukta-cheshtasya-karmasu, that, uh, that in all of our normal human activities, he also says, uh, you know, don't sleep too much or too little, too little, don't eat too much or too little. And so in order to keep yourself just, I would say, emotionally stable and physically healthy, we do give a certain amount of, pleasure, innocent pleasure to the body. For example, if Prabhupada, if devotees brought his lunch and it was cooked badly, he really didn't like it. And he, and he really didn't like it, not only because he wanted to eat tasty food, because it was a sign the disciples were just, you know, really being foolish. And also having a certain amount of bodily satisfaction in a way that's not sinful, like, let's say, like my mother, you know, you know, to, to paraphrase her, you know, if that's the worst thing you ever do, eating chocolate chip cookies, you'll, you'll be a great devotee. So, <laughs> so, so the idea is that too much austerity is not favorable for Krishna. I have a material body. This material body has momentum. It's like if, let's say you're driving down the interstate Let's say you're going, I don't know, 70 miles an hour, and you suddenly realize you're going the wrong direction. Actually, one time at New Raman Reti, we were inviting professors there in the early 80s for dialogues, and there was one devotee, nice devotee, very spaced out. So he was driving a professor. <laughs> he was driving one a professor back to Tampa. He was a professor, philosophy, philosophy professor at the University of South Florida, and he was talking so much, this devotee, he was very glib. He actually got on the northbound ramp, you know, he went and, and, and he was almost at the border with Georgia before he figured out he was going the wrong way. But anyway, so, so we have to be practical for Krishna and Krishna says in the Gita, giving your body certain, you know, enough food or the right kind of food, enough rest, you know, Krishna says, yuktahara viharasya, you need recreation, but in the, you know, in, in moderately. We need downtime, we need to relax, we need to just 
Even Prabhupada, sometimes he would relax and he would joke. Prabhupada used to tell me jokes when I was secretary, you know, Indian jokes. So the real point here is, is, is the moderation that you accept just enough recreation and you, what we call, you know, just relaxing, maybe joking, eating prasadam that you really like, just enough to keep yourself jolly, as Prabhupada used to say, keep yourself happy but not, a, not so much that it just becomes a type of, uh, you know, like a real material attachment or addiction or distraction. So that's the moderation. Too much austerity is just as dangerous as too much sense gratification. And that's what Prabh Prabhupada himself, when he started his uh, first center in New York, he used to cook sumptuous feasts because he knew he had to wean these people off you know, the wrong food. Prabhupada himself took pleasure. It's in the Lilamrita when they were opening the San Francisco temple and, and about, I don't know, maybe an hour, maybe less, 45 minutes north of San Francisco, there's a beach called Stimson Beach, as if any sane person would actually swim in the cold waters of Northern California. But anyway, you know, the devotees were young and so they were, and, and, and it said that Prabhupada was sitting there on the beach enjoying, you know, enjoying the scene, seeing his disciples happy, playing in the water, swimming, it made him very happy. And so Krishna conscious life is not an artificial, dry, stern life. It's a life of happiness, of loving friendship, of you know, eating nice prasadam, of engaging in devotional service according to our nature. It's a happy, natural life, but we do everything for Krishna. We do everything, you know, we, we take care of our bodies in moderation. Uh, we avoid sinful activities and we happily go back to Godhead. So, any other question? We have to leave time for you to make very large donations to me. So, just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> we'll send you a huge chocolate chip cookie, Maharaj. <laughs> yeah, my birthday. Yeah, I want a chocolate chip cookie like that big. Thank you, Marge. We, we have to stop you for breakfast, but thank you so much for the class, Marge. Really nice, and we hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah, thank you all very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.